you to please stand with me in our reverence for the word of our Lord as we look at our passage for this morning. We're continuing once again the gospel according to Luke, Luke chapter 19, verses 1 to 10. Luke 19, 1 to 10. He entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus, and he was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the be a guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. May he write eternal truths upon our hearts for his glory and for the building of his church. Please be seated. And let's pray again together. Our Lord and our God, as we consider this passage of Scripture this morning, we marvel at the glory of the gospel. We marvel that our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, God the Son incarnate, truly God and truly man, came into the world to save sinners. And Lord, we think about these things so often, we say these things so often that we, we sometimes easily forget the, the magnitude of what's being said. That those who deserve your wrath would instead become objects of grace according to your sovereign and loving mercy. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, you came on this rescue mission to save Zacchaeus and to save so many and to save so many of us. Lord, we praise you for the demonstration of repentance and faith that we see in Zacchaeus. And Lord, help us, I pray, Lord, to walk in the same. And we pray all of this in the strong name of Jesus Christ, the only Savior. Amen. In my devotions this past week, one of the places that I've been reading from is John's Gospel account. And earlier this week, I read the story of the Samaritan woman at the well in John 4. It's a beautiful account of, of, of the Lord seeking out a sinner for salvation. And as I'm sure you're familiar with the story, this is Jesus here he breaks down of, all kinds of, of social conventions in saving this person. He was going to a Samaritan a, who was hated by the Jews. He was going to a woman, and, and at that time, in, in a, a very largely misogynistic culture, men just didn't go around talking to women. And this wasn't just a, a woman and not just a Samaritan woman. This was a particularly sinful woman. And Jesus came to her with the message of the gospel. He told her directly. He said, I am the Messiah. And he told her that you must worship God in spirit and in truth. And, and as Jesus lovingly exposed her sin, she repented and, and came to faith. And immediately became an evangelist in her own village. And presumably from her witness, many more came to saving faith. 
The day before, on John, the day before, I read John three, which which relays the interaction between Jesus and Nicodemus, who was was a leader of the Pharisees, quite a different character from the Samaritan woman at the well. John three, Jesus explains to to Nicodemus. He says that you must be born again through the work of the Holy Spirit. And of course, this passage contains John 3.16, one of, the, one of the, the best known and best loved verses in all of Scripture. For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Now in that passage from Jesus' interaction with, with Nicodemus, I, I tend to believe that Nicodemus was actually born again. Now the text doesn't say directly but from what we hear later of Nicodemus's uh, interactions with the Pharisees in John seven, and then with with Jesus or Nicodemus rather involvement in the burial of, of Jesus in John nineteen, it it really seems it's it's really to to me I, I think it's it's very likely that he was saved. Now I can't say for certain about Nicodemus, but I know that God used. Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus to save me. Many of you know this story. As I was watching wrestling with some buddies back in 1992, and we were probably, very probably, high and drunk as well. And as we were watching wrestling, the camera panned through the crowd, and there, somebody in the crowd was holding up a sign that said, John 3.3. Now, I'd never heard John 3.3. I'd never even heard John 3.16. I'd never heard the gospel in my entire life. And I didn't say anything to my buddies, but I, I went home and, and I did have a Bible that my mom had given me when I was a child. I, I went home and looked it up. And, and John 3.3 says, in order to see the kingdom of God, you must be born again. And I didn't know what born again was, but I knew that I wasn't. But then by God's grace, six months later, he saved me. Last week, we, we witnessed the salvation of, of blind Bartimaeus. In our passage this morning, we, we find another salvation story. It's a story that's, that's recorded. Salvation is a story that's recorded many times throughout the Scriptures. It's been played out countless times in history, including among many of those seated here in this room this morning. This morning, we witnessed the salvation of Zacchaeus, the tax collector. This passage follows closely upon what we saw last week at the end of Luke 18. There are many parallels with the salvation of a blind Bartimaeus that we saw last week, and including the theme of inability to see, overcoming obstacles to come to Jesus. That's a theme really that we see throughout this whole section from, from Luke 18, the beginning of Luke 18 to the middle of, of Luke 19, overcoming obstacles to come to Jesus. The gift of salvation, the response that, that an encounter with Jesus produces. So in addition to, to his, Jesus being on a rescue mission, we're, we're going to see several of the, the, several of the characteristics of Jesus' ministry that we've seen so far throughout Luke's gospel account. We see that Jesus calls the outcast. We're going to hear him called the friend of sinners. We're going to encounter that. We're going to an encounter that we'll see an encounter that 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 Jesus produces fruit in the life of somebody that he meets. As they respond to him with great joy and with the fruit of, of repentance. So here in this passage from. From Luke, beginning of Luke 18 to the middle of Luke 19, Luke, who's the, the, the Holy Spirit-inspired master historian and narrator, is here through divine inspiration weaving for us a, a tapestry in which he pulls together the highlights of, of Jesus' ministry, and especially of this, set, this central section in Luke's gospel account, the, the travel narrative that started, we talked about with the kids back in, in, in Luke chapter 9, 51. And ends with the, the triumphal entries. We're going to see, Lord willing, in just a couple of weeks. 
So what's happening here is, we're, is, is that Luke, Luke is showing the contrast between those who enter the kingdom and those who don't. We've, we've seen this many, many times. And we, we, as we've seen throughout Luke's gospel account, again, it also in the, the central section here, that it's quite often the outcasts who enter into the kingdom. And as, as we see here also in this passage, that, that those who, who are encounter obstacles are seen to enter the kingdom. So, for example, we, we had the, the widow back in, in chapter, uh, in the beginning of chapter 18, the widow who went to the judge, who's the persistent widow, and, and then she overcame this, the, the obstacle of the obstinate judge, the unrighteous judge. And then the children who were, were being brought to Jesus, the disciples threw up an obstacle and tried to hinder them. But they're represented as, as those who, who enter into the kingdom, the kind of faith that saves. We see also the, the, the parable of the, the Pharisee and the tax collector. As is the, 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 the tax collector is the obstacle of his own unrighteousness. He enters the kingdom. We saw the blind man last week who the crowd tried to hinder from coming. And, and this week the, the crowd try, is, a, is a hindrance to Zacchaeus as well going in a different way. And, and all these individuals overcome by God's grace, they overcome obstacles to enter the kingdom. But if you look at this passage, who is the one individual that does not encounter any obstacles? The rich, young ruler. The way is paved for him to enter the kingdom. Jesus invites him to, to sell all, all that he has and give it to the poor and to come follow him. But, but his his own self-righteousness and his riches are an obstacle that he has created in his own heart to keep him from entering the kingdom. So again, Luke is weaving together all of these themes here. They really kind of come to a climax in this section. So Luke is telling us how the Messiah in his ministry provides salvation through faith and what that faith looks like. So with Luke 19, 1 to 10, again, Jesus' journey to Jerusalem is coming to an end. Next week, we're going to see that Jesus is near Jerusalem, verse 11. And then in verse 28, that he's going up to Jerusalem, again, drawing near the city in verse 41, and then finally entering the temple, coming, going through the, the, the eastern gate and entering into the temple in verse 45. Now, in our passage this morning, we're going to see that, that Zacchaeus seeks to know who Jesus is. But Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is and seeks him anyway. Zacchaeus seeks to know who Jesus is. He doesn't know. Jesus knows who Zacchaeus is and seeks him anyway. Jesus is taking the initiative to save Zacchaeus. And as a result of, of his interaction with, with Jesus, Zacchaeus is transformed before our very eyes while the crowd grumbles against Jesus. So as Daryl Bach explains, Jesus is the model Savior and Zacchaeus is the model saint. We're going to see some, some clear contrast that we've been seeing together through this, this whole section. But, but, so Jesus, but Zacchaeus is going to be contrasted with the crowds, but, but Zacchaeus is, especially, is especially contrasted with the rich young ruler, as we'll see. I see three main movements in this passage. First, Zacchaeus seeks to know who Jesus is in verses 1 to 4. And then Jesus seeks Zacchaeus and the response in verses 5 to 8. And then Jesus came to seek and to save. Verses 9 and 10. So first of all, verses 1 to 4. Zacchaeus seeks to know who Jesus is. As our passage begins, we see another mile marker. Jesus has now entered Jericho. He's on the road to Jerusalem. Again, he's about 40 kilometers away from Jerusalem. He's about 40 kilometers away from his destination and, and from his death. As we saw last week, this, 
this road to Jerusalem that read, led through Jericho was a major thoroughfare, especially in the lead up to the Passover when many pilgrims would have been, been headed up to the city to worship during the Passover. The road would have been crowded with pilgrims. But again, also as we saw last week, there was a, a greater crowd than normal because, because there was a, a crowd that, that was surrounding, a, a throng that was surrounding Jesus on his journey. And Luke says, Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. Luke, Luke is saying to us, Look with me at this man. Watch what happens. Luke wants to, to direct our attention to what is about to take place. First, he provides us with some biographical information about Zacchaeus. He was a, a chief tax collector, and he was rich. Remember that the tax collectors were, were among the most despised members of Jewish society. The Roman army would... would occupying army would, would levy heavy taxes on the countries that they occupied. And they would then subcontract tax collection to the highest bidder. It was often citizens of the country that they were occupying. And then that tax collector would pay Rome from his revenues and at the same time would, would skim off the profits to put into his own pockets. They were traitors. They were extortionists. And they really, they really became a symbol of moral corruption. And Zacchaeus wasn't just a tax collector. Zacchaeus was a chief tax collector. Evidently, he was very good at what he did. He had climbed the, the tax collector ranks and, and had become very rich in the process. So if tax collectors were sinners, then Zacchaeus, as a chief tax collector, was then a chief sinner. And this was exactly the kind of man that Jesus was looking for. But like Levi, another tax collector who would become a disciple, Zacchaeus wasn't just the kind of man that Jesus was looking for. Zacchaeus was the particular man that Jesus was looking for. As we've read through Luke and, and studied through Luke, if, if we've been paying attention, we've seen a pattern, right? When we, when we see a tax collector, we, we, we pretty much expect him to be saved, right? After all, back in, in Luke 5, we, we saw with the call of, of Levi the tax collector get to become one of the 12 apostles. Luke 15, we, we saw that the tax collectors were all drawing near Jesus. And then in Luke 18, with the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector, it was the tax collector who cried out to God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and who, Jesus says, went home justified. So as we meet Zacchaeus, it's, it's with the expectation that Jesus is going to save him. And it's a good and it's an accurate expectation, as, as we'll see. But I want you to notice something else here in Luke's description of Zacchaeus. Again, I mentioned this earlier. Zacchaeus was rich. Zacchaeus was rich. Now, in the, in the midst of, of the, the immediate context, the mention of a rich man should be like a, a, a red flag should go up. Right? Because what did Jesus just say about the rich? What did Jesus just say about the rich back in, in, in Luke 18 when, when he invited the rich young ruler to sell all that he had to give it to the poor and come follow him? The rich man chose his money instead of Jesus and walked away from Jesus. And in response, Jesus said, how difficult is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? For it is easier... Verse 25, for it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And so it should, it should prompt the question. Again, you know the story finishes, but, it, but if you read this for the first time, it would prompt the question in your mind, is this rich man going to fit through the eye of a needle? In verse 3, things start to get encouraging. 
Well, we see Luke tells us that Zacchaeus was, was seeking to see who Jesus was. But then we see another piece of biographical information that Luke provides for us. He was small in stature. He was short. He was, was short so that, that he couldn't get a glimpse of Jesus through the crowd. And so at least for now, it's, it's not his riches, but his height and the crowd that are obstacles. Now imagine Zacchaeus trying to, trying to push his way through to the front, but, but when the crowds realize, oh, this is Zacchaeus. We hate Zacchaeus. The, the crowd kind of forming ranks and saying, you're not getting past me. But Zacchaeus is, is undeterred. Like blind Bartimaeus. He's undaunted either, either by the, the crowds who, who hindered him and his ability to see. Remember the crowds that tried to hinder blind Bartimaeus. He said, no way. He called out all the more. And the crowds tried to hinder Zacchaeus. And he said, no way. I'm not letting, getting, letting anything get him away. So he, what does he do? He runs down the road in the direction that Jesus is going. And he, he climbs up a sycamore tree. Now, sycamore trees often lined roadsides. And in fact, they, they, they do here as well. If, if when you approach the intersection of, of Gordon and Gushigan, there's a, a row of, of sycamore trees. I'll never see those trees in the same way again. But, but as, they, as, Jesus, as Zacchaeus is, is running ahead and is, and is scrambling up this tree, this, this little guy scrambling up the tree to see Jesus, Notice again what Luke is saying. He's saying it again. He says that he wanted to see Jesus. And in the Bible, when, when you see something that's repeated like that, it's, it's, it, you really need to pay attention because there's something that you really need to, you, no pun intended, you need to see. Luke wants us to see that, that Zacchaeus wants to see. And so he is, he, again, he wants to seize the case. He's going to great lengths to do it. And, and it, it would have been very undignified for a man of his position to, to run down the road and then to, to scrabble up this tree to see this religious leader passing by. Clearly, Zacchaeus didn't care what people thought of him. And that would have been evident already by his chosen profession. Many years ago, I was at an indie car race in Australia, and, and it was a big crowd of people. And I, I wanted to, to, I'm relatively tall, but there was a big crowd, and I wanted to see past the crowd. I wanted to see past the, the fences. So I climbed up a tree to see past the, the guardrail. And, and these, these indie cars, they, they can travel at speeds of over 400 kilometers an hour. So they were passing by quickly. And I was up the tree until a, a policeman told me to climb down. But, 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 but I think in this, in this moment, like I said, it's, it's for me, it was like, I just wanted to see cars going by. He wanted to see Jesus. He wasn't going to let anything stand in his way. Or anyone stand in his way. Zacchaeus wanted to see someone who was infinitely more important. Now, evidently, Zacchaeus had heard of Jesus and heard about Jesus. But unlike blind Bartimaeus, Zacchaeus didn't yet know who Jesus was. Remember that, that when Bartimaeus didn't see but heard Jesus, he, he said, Son of David, have mercy on me. He recognized that, that Jesus was the Messiah. So he already had faith in, in who Jesus was. But Zacchaeus didn't yet know. That's why he was up the tree. He wanted to find out. We need to realize that seeking to know who Jesus is is not enough. Lots of people seek to know who Jesus is, but they don't want to know Jesus. Remember, the rich young ruler, he went looking for Jesus. You know, Mark tells us that he actually ran up to Jesus and, and bowed down on his knees before Jesus, but then rejected Jesus. He didn't really want to know Jesus. But thankfully, there's something more going on here than just Zacchaeus seeking to know who Jesus was. So now we see in verses 5 to 8 that Jesus seeks Zacchaeus. 
and the response. When Jesus approached the sycamore tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Unlike blind Bartimaeus, who took the initiative approaching Jesus, this time Jesus took the initiative approaching Zacchaeus. And notice what he says here. He says, Zacchaeus, hurry up and come down. Do you ever wonder how he knew Zacchaeus' name? There's probably other people up in that tree as well. But he specifically called Zacchaeus. And he said, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay with you today. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was personally. And he called him specifically to come down from the tree. And Jesus told him to hurry because he must stay at his house today. Jesus invited himself over to Zacchaeus' house. It's the only time we see that in the scriptures. He says, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. It's necessary for me to stay at your house today. And then in describing Zacchaeus' response, Luke says, he uses the exact same words to describe Zacchaeus' response as the words that Jesus had just used to command Zacchaeus to come down. Jesus said, hurry and come down to Zacchaeus, and now Zacchaeus hurries and comes down. Luke adds, he receives Jesus joyfully. Now it seems it was at this moment that Zacchaeus was saved. He received Jesus with joy with great joy. Think back for a moment about the moment of your conversion when you first came to faith. And the joy, the the experience, the the freedom from guilt, the freedom from the, the burden of sin, to know that in that moment of your salvation, your greatest need, your greatest problem was solved for all eternity. Your greatest problem is the fact that you were living as an enemy of God. In that moment, through faith in Christ, Jesus became your friend and you were adopted into God's family. Think about that joy. Don't, don't ever let that joy go. And if it's drifted from you, then ask the Lord to, to rekindle it in your heart, to remind you. This is Joy is, is part of the fruit of the Holy Spirit. One of the things that the, 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 the Lord, His power works in the hearts of His people along with love, joy, peace, uh, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and self-control. Ask the Holy Spirit to fan that joy into a flame. It's, and joy, again, it's don't, don't be confused between, with joy versus happiness. Okay, happiness is related to happenstance. Happiness is, is related to, to the, the, the present circumstances in your life, the material circumstances in your life, but, but joy is, is deep and it's grounded in the gospel. It's grounded in all that you receive by grace through Jesus Christ. So Zacchaeus receives Jesus with joy. Zacchaeus didn't just receive Jesus joyfully into his home. Zacchaeus received Jesus joyfully into his heart. Unasked, Jesus invited himself not just to Zacchaeus' home, but into into Zacchaeus' heart. Jesus was not impotently standing at the door knocking, saying, please let me in. This was a divine rescue mission, and Jesus broke down the door of Zacchaeus' heart and rescued him. And so Zacchaeus responds with joy. But Zacchaeus' response is not the only one that's on display in this passage. Remember that there was a large crowd present. This was was not a private interaction between Jesus and Zacchaeus. Remember these men, the tax collectors were despised as traitors and heinous sinners. But here was Jesus, one who, who claimed, according in their mind, claimed to be a religious authority consorting with this man. And so in the minds of, of those in the crowd, Jesus was fraternizing with the enemy. 
And again, if we've been paying attention through Luke's gospel account, we should realize that, that, that we shouldn't be surprised by this. Because every time we've seen Jesus minister to tax collectors and other sinners, people get angry. But specifically dealing with tax collectors. Back in, in Luke 5, when, when Jesus called Levi and went to his house and shared a meal with, with Levi and other tax collectors, the Pharisees grumbled. And then in Luke 15, when the tax collectors were all drawing near Jesus, the Pharisees grumbled. And then in the, Pharisee, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke 18, the Pharisee self-righteously exalted himself and condemned the tax collector. So we shouldn't be surprised by this. But this time, it's not just the Pharisees. When Zacchaeus gets saved, it's not just the Pharisees, but the crowds, all the crowds grumble. Verse 7, And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be a guest of a man who is a sinner. So notice that they aren't just grumbling against Zacchaeus, they're grumbling against Jesus. As Leon Morris says, they, they condemned Jesus as a sinner and they criticized Jesus for being a guest in his home. The animosity against Jesus is growing. These are rumblings of the coming storm and of the anger of the crowd that's going to be unleashed upon Jesus when they, sh when they shout out to the Romans, crucify him. The thin veneer of, of their curiosity is being peeled back as we see how they really feel about Jesus. So there's a contrast here in between the response of Zacchaeus, who receives Jesus joyfully, and the response of the crowds who reject Jesus and grumble. Much like the rich young ruler had rejected Jesus. Well, now the contrast deepens. Part of Zacchaeus receiving Jesus is repenting to Jesus. Verse 8. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. You see what's happening here? God has graciously canceled his debt. And in his repentance, Zacchaeus generously gives to others. Notice that Zacchaeus stood up to speak. He's, he's being emphatic. He's, he's speaking here in the present tense. He's, he's showing that, that, it, he's, that I have present resolve. This is, what I'm, this is what I'm doing. I'm committed to this. Now, at the beginning of, of this verse, most modern Bibles have it translated and. And Zacchaeus stood and said. But, but the word that's translated and can also be but. And I think but actually fits the context here better. Because, because what what's really seems to be happening here again is that the response of, of Zacchaeus to Jesus is again is being contrasted with that of the crowds. So they said this, but Zacchaeus said this. The, the crowds complained, but Zacchaeus repented. So Zacchaeus here is, is again being contrasted with the crowds, but, but even more than that, who's being contrasted with? The rich young ruler. Right? Remember, Jesus invited the rich young ruler to, to give away his, his possessions to the poor to follow him, but he declined. But here we see Zacchaeus, unasked, after meeting Jesus, volunteers to give away half his possessions without being asked. But we need to understand that this is not just charity. This is penitence. This is penitence. Now, now penitence, unlike penance, penitence is the outflow of the repentant heart. Penance is a, is a sacrament of the Roman Catholic Church as, as a form of punishment or discipline in order to somehow earn merit before God. It's heresy. This is not that. This is not penance. It is penitence. Penitence. Penitence is, is the godly grief that, that produces repentance that leads to salvation without regret. 
Second Corinthians 7.10. In fact, let's just go there for a moment. Second Corinthians chapter 7. Look at verses 10 and 11. Second Corinthians 7.10. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. For see what earnestness this godly grief has, grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point you have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So part of penitence is it's part of repentance and it bears fruit. As John the Baptist had warned the crowds back in Luke 3, 8, bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So the fruit of repentance in, in this sense, in this particular case here, means making restitution to those, to wrongs who have been done to others. Okay, so Zacchaeus is making restitution here. According to Jewish civil law, when legal, when somebody took something or, or took something unjustly, there was, was restitution that was required. There was a sacrifice and there was a, a, a legal restitution. So the legal restitution for extortion, which is, which is the, the particular sin that Zacchaeus was, was involved in, the, the, the legal restitution for extortion was an additional 20% on top of the return of the money that you've extorted. Okay, so if he had, if he had extorted $100, then he would have to repay $100 plus another $20. Okay, that's what, that's what the, the civil law required. That's in, in Luke 5.16. But Zacchaeus here volunteers four times the amount he'd taken. Now, under the, the civil law, the Jewish civil law, that, that was only required directly for theft, Exodus 22.1. So he's going to the, the maximum. Is how serious he is. He's showing the fruit of repentance. Now, just think about what a, a massive undertaking this, this would have been for a chief tax collector. Not only in the fact that it would have been a large amount of money, but it would have been extremely labor-intensive just to figure out who he'd stolen from what and, and how to repay it. Is there any sin that you have not repented of? Is there any sin that you were, you were holding on to? You've not repented of it to God or to the people that you have, have wronged by sinning against them? Is there anything you're holding back? Is there any sin that you have not fought forgi sought forgiveness or, or sought to make restitution for? Wherever possible, you should seek to do what Zacchaeus did. Again, not to earn forgiveness like, like Roman Catholic penance, but out of penitence as part of the, the fruit of repentance. You know what? There was a sense in which when when the Holy Spirit had begun to convict me, I was, I was confessing all over the place. So much even my, my parents said, John, stop, we've heard enough, we forgive you. And, and I was, was taught by my pastor, this is actually later in, in, my, in my Christian walk, but that, that part of this actually means making restitution. So I, I began to, to seek out people that I'd stolen stuff from or I'd, or I'd, or I'd damaged their property intentionally. And, and asked for their forgiveness and, and sought to repay somehow what I'd done. And, and it was usually a, a really amazing process that, that, that often led to an opportunity, an open door to share the gospel with somebody. But again, this is something not to earn forgiveness, but, but out of a heart of repentance to, to seek to, to not necessarily make it right, but just to try to, try to restore what you've taken. Now, again, if, if maybe this is the first time you're hearing some of this. Maybe if, if you'd like to talk to me about this, I, I would love to sit down and talk with you about what that might look like in, in your circumstances. But Zacchaeus here is essentially saying, 
Jesus, the crowd is right. I've sinned. I've sinned horribly. But I'm repenting. I'm repentant. My, my heart has changed. I don't, I don't love what I was just loving just a few minutes ago. I used to love unjust gain. Now I, I repudiate it because I love you. Again, this is the fruit of repentance. And the, the, the context here proves that he was sincere. I've, I've, I've heard people say, yeah, I'm going to make that right, but they never do. But the context here shows and proves that he was sincere, that his heart has changed, that he's going to follow through on what he said he's going to do. And this is the fruit of repentance. This is true faith. So that here in, in, in the response of Zacchaeus, we see that, that true faith re- receives Jesus, true faith rejoices in Jesus, and true faith repents to Jesus. Jesus has called Zacchaeus personally, and Jesus has called Zacchaeus powerfully. His call is effectual. The call of Jesus creates faith and repentance through the power of the Holy Spirit. So this formerly chief tax collector and formerly chief sinner is now a chief saint. Again from Daryl Bach, Jesus is the model Savior and Zacchaeus is the model saint. He's presented as a, as a, to be a, an emblematic of the type of faith that saves. Much as we saw the children in, back in Luke 18. Zacchaeus sought to know who Jesus is. Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was and Jesus sought Zacchaeus anyway. He knew every single sin that Zacchaeus had ever committed and every single sin that Zacchaeus would commit. And he chose to save him anyway. Brother Christian, sister Christian, Jesus knew every sin that you and I committed and every sin that you and I would commit and Jesus saved us anyway. Jesus sought us out for salvation, not because of any works done in righteousness, but simply that he might make us objects of his grace for the glory of his name. That's amazing grace. Unbeliever, your sin is not so great or too great for you to be saved. We all know, we talked about this recently, that we all know the, 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 the hymn, Amazing Grace, the, the most popular English hymn ever. It was written by John Newton, a former slave trader. Slave trader. He kidnapped men and women and he put them in shackles and put them in a hold of a boat. He was the captain of a slave ship and, and sailed them all over the world to sell them. And part, so part of Part of the, the, the sin of, of slave trading, of, of trafficking in, in human beings was, was also the, the sins of murder and all forms of sexual immorality. This was John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. And he said, really, he summed up the gospel perfectly. He said, I know two things. I'm a great sinner and I have a great Savior. Do you know that? If you know Jesus, you know that. Or think about the Apostle Paul who had had participated in the the murder of Stephen, the the first Christian martyr. He dragged men and women off to prison. He was known as the ravager of the church. But Jesus chose him. Jesus saved him. And Jesus used him to help build the church. In fact, make the case that arguably there was no other human being who did more to build the the church than the Apostle Paul, who once sought to destroy the church. No one is too sinful for Christ to save. At the incident with the rich young ruler, Jesus had said that it was easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And those who heard it said, who then can be saved? Jesus' reply, what is impossible with man is possible with God. 
The salvation even of a rich man, even of a rich tax collector is possible with God. This rich man went through the eye of the needle. As in the hymn, To God Be the Glory, that we sang earlier, the vilest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. And if you've received that pardon, you can rejoice. You can, with, with the prophet Isaiah 118, Come now, let us reason together, said the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are like red like crimson, they should be as wool. And finally and quickly, verses 9 and 10, Jesus came to seek and to save. Verse 9, Jesus says, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is the son of Abraham. Salvation has come to this house. When Jesus came to his house, salvation came to his house. Jesus has delivered Zacchaeus from eternal condemnation into eternal life. Unlike the rich young ruler who purported to be seeking eternal life, rejected Jesus and chose death. But Zacchaeus rejected sin and chose Jesus Christ, received eternal life, and entered into the kingdom of God. Jesus continues proclaiming Zacchaeus to be a son of Abraham. So as a, as a Jew, he was a physical descendant of Abraham, but Jesus declares him here to be a spiritual son of Abraham. He was following Abraham's example of faith. Now, although Luke says that, that Jesus said to him, to Zacchaeus, these things. He's, Jesus is not just speaking to Zacchaeus. He's, this is also for the crowds that are there. He's effectually reinstating Zacchaeus into society. But as you see, he's doing so much more than that. For in verse 10, the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. I love this verse. Here as Jesus ministry, his journey towards Jerusalem is drawing to a close. Jesus is, is here giving us a, a reprise of his mission statement that we saw back at the beginning of his ministry, back in Luke 4, 18 and 19. This is really a bookend for, for Luke 4, 18 and 19. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus is saying all of that in just that one sentence. In that one sentence. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And notice here the title that he's using. He's referring to himself as the Son of Man. This is the messianic title. He is David's greater son. So here the Son of Man, he's saying, I am, I am the king. I am, I am the one who, promised, who God promised to be the fulfillment of, with the covenant between God and David. And again here we see that Jesus is taking the initiative. He came to seek and to save. Zacchaeus sought to know who Jesus was, but Jesus knew who Zacchaeus was and saved him, sought him and saved him anyway. The rich young ruler claimed to be seeking Jesus, but rejected Jesus. What about you? Which one are you? are you? Are you Zacchaeus or are you the rich young ruler? What is the fruit of your life? Are you showing the fruit of repentance? Are you, you, are you receiving Jesus? Are you joyful in Jesus? This, this, is, the, this is what it means to be a Christian. Which one are you? Are you seeking to know who Jesus is? Have you found Jesus? Has he found you? Listen to this words of, the words of, of these, these hymns. There's a modern version of the hymn, I Sought the Lord. I sought the Lord and afterward I knew. He moved my soul to seek him seeking me. It was not I that found, O Savior, true. It was not I, no, I was found of thee. 
Not I, but Christ. Not I, but Christ. Thou art the seeker and I the found. What but such grace can woo my heart to love, to worship thee and seek my neighbor's best? When in all, when in the end I reach the heavens above, all was of grace that lifted me to rest. Glory to God, glory to the Son, glory to the Spirit, for I am found to God be the glory, for I am found. Let's pray together. We marvel, Lord Jesus, that you would come on a rescue mission to seek and to save sinners like us. Lord, we thank you for this example of repentance that we see in Zacchaeus. And, and we, we know that, that we fall short, that, that our repentance is, is never good enough. We know that there's nothing that we can do no good thing that we could ever do to, to earn any measure of salvation. We know that, that all of our best deeds are as filthy rags before you. And we know if that's true of our righteous deeds, so-called righteous deeds, how much more our willfully sinful ones. Lord Jesus, you knew it all. You know it all. And you came to seek and to save us. Lord, we, we who have been found in you rejoice in you. Help us to continue to rejoice in you. Help us to continue to bear fruit in keeping with repentance for the glory of your name. Lord, for those who are within the sound of my voice but have not yet come to saving faith in Christ, Lord, I confess, I know I have no power to do anything to convince, let alone to convert anyone of the truths of these things. But we pray, Lord, confident in the power of your Holy Spirit to use the weakness of preaching to save souls. And so we pray that you would save people through the proclamation of this word for your glory and for the building of your church. Amen.